Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 888-699-9395 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. On this show, we interview recovering addicts and a lot of individuals who have overcome adversity in their lives. Uh, We did an episode with Marty Tanklift. Marty did uh, 17 years in prison. This guy was innocent. Uh, He went to prison for murdering his parents. He did not do it. He has a crazy story. Uh, We've done Holocaust survivors. Uh, We've done a couple other wrongful conviction stories. My background is being in recovery, so I do have a lot of recovering addicts on here. If you guys could go on Instagram and follow the Hell Has an Exit page, that's at Hell Has an Exit. These are all on video as well, so you can also watch all these interviews on YouTube right now. So on tell a friend to subscribe. And uh, every time someone else joins the podcast, it helps out the podcast. So I appreciate you guys. Today I have David G. David G, Florida native, right? Yes, sir. Born and raised in Florida. I've probably known you a couple years, but we got closer through our mutual love of firearms. Uh, you know, we just have talked more and more over the past couple of years. And like I had you speak for me recently. And, like, not just blowing smoke up your ass. Like, you really killed it. Like, I, I wasn't expecting, like, you just never know if someone's going to do. And, like, dude, you are animated. You had a good energy. You know, the people that were there loved it. So, uh, without further ado, welcome Dave G. You go by David or Dave? Doesn't matter. David's cool. Whatever. Yeah. So, I, I guess uh, I'm David. I'm an addict. Hey, Dave. It's funny because... um I remember I spoke for you a couple years back at that treatment center you went into. I thought I gave some good (laughs) material, but I remember the look on your face. You, you, we just left, and you're like, "All right, Dave." You're like, "You didn't cut it, kid." And I was like, "I didn't say that." No, but that's what I felt. Vibe you got. That's what I felt, and I was like, "God damn, I got to do better this time." So we're here. Honestly, I don't remember that time. (laughs) So where do we start, boss? Where are you from? I'm from Broward County, Florida. Okay. Uh, I was born here. I was raised here. I'm not one of the famous people you have on here. I'm, yeah, yeah. You know, a regular uh, dude. Uh, yeah, I'm just a regular guy who uh, fucked his life up mm-hmm. and tried to turn his life around. And I'm in the process of doing so. Where did things start going astray for you, like, as a kid? Oh, man. Were you, like, fucked up, like, young? Yeah, I, you were, like, off the chain I, young? I was fucking, I was shot, man. Everybody in my family has suffered from the disease of addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody ha- has a, had a problem with drugs and alcohol. Uh, it started young. My, my dad died. He was diagnosed with AIDS when my mom was still pregnant with me. You know, and I remember he died when I was two. And my whole growing up, you know, it was always that mystery of what happened to David's dad. You know, who, like, I didn't even know. You know, uh, my my mom, every year it seemed there was a new lie of, like, how he died. It was cancer. It was Mm -hmm. this. It was that. Car accident. You know, so I never knew. You know, so I had some abandonment issues. And I don't know. I was always picked on in school because I was the kid with the dead dad. And, like. People picked on you because of that? Oh, my God. Yo, so my mom would dress me. Yeah. So my mom would dress me in, like, some horrible clothes. I remember I had a soup bowl haircut. All right, the the little surfer cut. They How old me, are we talking? Uh, uh, third grade. 
Mm-hmm. Second grade. All right. So they call me Donkey Kong Head or DK Head for short because <laughs> I had a big ass head, little yeah. ass body. But they also picked on me because I had a dead dad. And wow. like, I didn't snap for the DK head. I didn't snap because of my haircut. But like, when you said something about my dad, I would, oh my God, I would, I would put hands on you. I would bite you. I would tie your shoes together. I was a fucking bad kid. Mm-hmm. The assistant principal ended up calling my mom in there for like a parent teacher conference mm-hmm. and was like, yo, Lady, your son is socially retarded. And that just stuck with me for years. Oh, he said for, that? For ye- in yeah. front of you? She, no, she had a parent-teacher conference. It was me, the principal, the assistant uh-huh. principal, and my mom. And she's like, your son is socially retarded. He can't have normal friendships. He's he's not a normal kid. He's not a good kid. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't mean to <laughs> that's, that's, that's the truth, though, man. For she years. said those words? Socially retarded. And oh Brian, I shit you not, man. Like, my mom was an alcoholic. And for years, I'm, my mom, when she would get drunk, she would talk hella shit. Mm-hmm. That bitch know her child was right. She said, you're socially retarded. You ain't going to be shit. For, I'm telling you, for years, Brian. Wow. For years. I really believed it. But, like, you know, now getting cl- you know clean and turning my life around, like... I realize I'm not socially retarded because I can hold a job. I have friendships, you know, I'm in a healthy relationship, Mm -hmm. you know. So, (laughs) fuck that lady. But, but yeah, I was a bad kid, man. Okay. I never really had, I I had some friends. We got into, like, typical stupid trouble, Mm -hmm. you know, little kid stuff. Uh, BMX bikes, dirt bikes, you know, fun. I never really had any friends at school and hated school. And I went to Nova for middle and high school, mm-hmm. and I started selling drugs in, like, the eighth grade. I kind of became—I thought I had all these friends, but really I was just a shitty drug dealer, and they wanted all my drugs. Yeah, yeah. You know? And then shortly after, I graduated to harder and harder drugs. And, you know, by the time I'm, like, 16, 15, 16, I'm doing cocaine every day. You know, I dropped out of school a week into my junior year because I got a car. And I was mm-hmm. like, man, I got a car now. Fuck that. I could tell my mom, bye, I'm going to school. And then I would just drive around, wait till she went to work and go back home, mm-hmm. you know? And then it just got progressively worse over the years. After I dropped out, I was working in kitchens and uh, doing construction, working on cars, doing all kinds of weird things. And I remember I was working at this one restaurant, Cheddar's, mm-hmm. and I'm in the kitchen. The guy that was working on the grill next to me, he was actually in a couple of Rick Ross videos. And so I started getting friendly with this guy and he worked at a strip club. Mm-hmm. He was like, next thing you know, he got me a job working at Diamond Dolls in Pompano. All right. What is it? Diamond Dolls. I never heard of it. You never heard of Diamond Dolls? All right. Well, anyways, <laughs> so I'm, I'm working at this strip club and okay. I'm cooking and I'm freaking 19 years old, they man. food there? Yeah. I, I yeah. I was a chef wow. in a strip club okay. and for, I spent a five year time span in my life. Mm-hmm cooking at two different strip clubs. Uh And I was exposed at 19 years old to things that a 19-year-old kid shouldn't be uh, Mm -hmm. exposed to. And I just saw, like, that side of things. And it fueled my drug use, started drinking like crazy, where, like, normal kids who graduate high school and get a good job and, you know, and mind you, I already was arrested twice for cocaine when I was 16. Mm -hmm. You know, I was introduced to a 12-step program. that The judge made me... uh, get a paper sign and go to meetings. And mm-hmm. I didn't think I had a problem. I just thought I had a problem with one substance because I always got caught with it, you know, and you couldn't tell me nothing. And then so now I'm working in a strip club where every drug imaginable is there. And like normal kids get a job and or go to college and 
start saving money and become successful. I'm working in a strip club. You know, every dollar I make is getting spent on drugs. Mm -hmm. I'm selling drugs. I'm buying drugs. I'm sleeping with women. You know, and it's just crazy. I was, I left work one night and I'm getting trashed with my friend. We're getting super drunk. And uh, I was going home and I went like 90 miles an hour into a sidewalk. And I tried to get out of the car. My leg was broken. And I tried to like hop home because it was like three o'clock in the morning. People said they were calling the cops. I tried to hop to my house and I landed on it again, broke it. Oh my God. Yeah, man. It was bad. It was bad. Everybody, oh my God. The cops knew I was drunk. The ambulance people knew I was drunk. They're not giving me any water, pain pills, nothing in the hospital because they're waiting for me to sober up. Mm -hmm. The anesthesiologist came to me. He's like, all right, bro, we're going into surgery. I know what you got in your system, but you need to tell me so I, so I know how to make the anesthesia. I'm like, I just got weed and alcohol, bro. He's like, you're lying. What else? I'm like, cocaine. What else? Xanax. What else? And I just kept going. He's like, yeah, I think that's about it. I did your blood. And like I say, now I'm making a joke about it, but like, Back then, what 19-year-old kid's supposed to be on all this shit, mm-hmm. you know? And so I had the surgery, and that's when I got introduced to opiates, mm. you know? For the next seven, eight years, I was just doing blues, heroin, you know? And, and that was my main focus in life was just not to be dope sick, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, you know, I was doing blues back when they were... Started doing them back when they were eight, nine dollars a piece. You they know? were seven for a while. <laughs> I, I didn't get the game, man. <laughs> you know what I remember? I remember. How when, old were you at that age? Oh God! At that time, twenty-three, twenty-four. Okay. okay. Maybe. What, what year is that? Oh man, I'm talking two thousand nine, ten. Wow, you started using in two thousand nine or ten. Oh yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh man, because my my accident was like March ninth, two thousand nine. I want to okay. say. So so up until this time, you know, like you're using Coke and Xanax yeah. and these other drugs, but you're still able to keep a job. Yes. And then you get introduced to opiates. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, I, I wasn't like, I don't know. I wasn't one of the addicts that like uh, could go rob somebody or I, I would panhandle. I would work. I would work two, three, <laughs> bro, like a motherfucker. I would show up on time. I would be the hardest working person. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't miss days, but like every penny I would get would go to drugs. Mm-hmm. And everything, everything that I owned would end up in a pawn shop, mm-hmm. you know, robbing from my family, robbing from my mother, robbing, you know, from, from anybody, mm-hmm. anybody. And I was just one of those. Yeah. So this was back. I remember it was back in like 2008 or nine when first the doctor prescribed me. Then I started meeting people on the streets. Mm -hmm. And I remember how you were saying, oh, they were seven for a while. I remember when I hopped in the game and I was buying them for nine a piece. There was like an uproar in the community. I was like, oh, my God, nine dollars. Like they used to be seven, you know, and and everybody was pissed off except me because I'm like, man, nine bucks. This is great. You know, and then it just went up and up. they never went to 10. They just went to 12. Yeah. 12, and then, and, then, and then it wasn't 13. I found one guy no, one time for 13. I think they never went to 11. They just went from 10 to 12. <laughs> and then right. it went to 15, yeah. and then 20, and then 30, mm-hmm. and then 40. And then, I, wow. yeah, I, I remember towards the end, I didn't have a car because mm-hmm. I would sell my car. I would pay a guy like 40 bucks to, because when you're dope sick, you don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. And I'd be at work and I'd be like, dude, just give me one. One, I ain't coming out there for one. I'll give you 40 bucks. Okay, I'm on the way, you know? And I was paying fucking $40. For one? For one. For one. Mm-hmm. It just, um, I never I never got into shooting dope 
you know, using drugs intravenously because that killed my father. Mm -hmm. So I was always, but granted, I was only exposed to needles and active addiction twice, mm -hmm. right? So if I would have been hanging out of with course. somebody every day, yeah, yeah. it would have only been a matter of time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, twice. Mm -hmm. I, I was just smoking them and snorting them, man, swallowing mm -hmm. them, you know, and, and, and then it proceeded to heroin and then, you know, other kind of opiates, other pills. But my main thing was Roxy's, man, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Roxy's, alcohol, Xanax. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I started noticing that, like, I had problems. I remember the first time I, I, I was working at this job in the kitchen. I was probably 23. And um, I went into work. And I used to go over to Pompano to cop. And the, the kid was telling me, no, you can't come here. The cops have been here all day. Mm -hmm. Right? And I called him like 40 times. He's like, nope, you can't come. You can't come. So I went to work dope sick. Right? Like an hour into my shift, I called him. He's like, yeah, man, the cops are gone. I'm 45 minutes from Pompano. But I'm like, man. Fuck this job. Mm -hmm. And I just walked out and I went to Pompano. I remember I got the drugs from him and I'm like, man, this ain't right. I got a fucking problem. And that was the first time I had, um, I called my uncle. I told him I needed some help. And he took me to Bark Detox. I went into Bark. I got in that night. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm never going to use again. And then Bark has a, uh, a treatment center, mm -hmm. IRT. And I went there afterwards. And I was like, yeah, I'm never... I'm, I'm staying, and this is my first time, so I'm new to this. I stayed in IRT for two days, and that disease said, we got to go. Mm -hmm. And I left. And I used the same day, immediately. People try to stop you from using everything? Not really. Like people in the treatment center? Yeah. Yeah, they were like, oh, you shouldn't go? I'm like, I know, but I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I was like, the, the nurse was like, you got to stay. I'm like, no, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And after like 45 times of me saying I'm going, they let me AMA. Yeah. Because it's like, hey, you don't have to stay here. Mm -hmm. Go. And I left. And uh, I've never successfully, I've been to treatment three times, 30-day centers, 60-day centers. Mm -hmm. I've never completed a 30- or 60-day treatment program. Mm. My record is 18 days in a treatment center. Now, I went to this one faith-based treatment center and and that was that was pretty cool i could rock with that because they let you work right and and they let me work on cars so i stayed in that place for almost a year hmm. i did great there but i i used the same day i got out same day same fucking day same oh, night man. same night was smoking spice and the next day i was doing blues and it was just uh so so i went into bark and um i left bark i used and then like it was the same thing man the same shuffle get a job you know, get some unmanageability. I get a car. I sell the car. I crash the car. Everything ends up in a pawn shop again. And then I went to um, this treatment center up in Palm Beach called CARP. It's the same thing for people without insurance. And I went there. And same thing. Stayed. I went to the detox. And that was my long stint in treatment. It was a 60-day program. I stayed for like 17, 18 days. And same thing. Left. I left because, oh, my God. I wanted to. Bro, I had this whole scheme planned out but anyways it, it was stupid and i left same fucking thing man when i was in that facility this one kid was talking about oh you should go try this place called faith farm mm -hmm. and i went to faith farm the seed was planted for that and i went to that place because by this time my family my mother was like david you got to do something with your life you're 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 amounting to nothing and what are you doing and basically like i had no more hustle i couldn't finagle her for anything and uh, I, I ended up calling this faith farm place, and she dropped me off there up in Boynton. And I stayed there for a year's 365. I stayed there for 363 days. And uh, same day I left, I got high. 
But I told my family, like, I lied to them all. I said, yeah, I'm doing all right. I got a little job. I, I started working. And for some crazy—this is a God story. I was working in this dead-end body shop. The guy was an asshole. He actually—he went to prison. He was a registered sex offender. And I was working for the guy. And I ended up quitting because I almost got in a fist fight with him. He's, he just treated me like shit. Mm-hmm. He ended up going back to jail because he was drunk one night and just pulled over and raped some random lady. Ended up quitting this place. And I'm working at different body shops. And, like, in the collision business, it's hard to find a good body shop to work for. And I remember working. I would go to this one place, and they're like, oh, you're too slow. Oh, you don't have certifications. Oh, this. Oh, that. It's hard to find a fit when when you first start working. And plus, I'm using. This guy fired me. I'm sitting with my friend one night, and we're in a car. And I ain't got no job, no money. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? And... We had this master plan that we were going to go in this old lady's house. Her name's Virginia. She actually died. We're going to go in her house, and we're going to rob her. Like, you know, my friend's going to talk all friendly, and I'm going to take all her drugs. You know, that was the plan. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, and, and I prayed for the first time. I was like, yo, God, help me out. And this dude calls me, and he's like, yo, David, what are you doing? And I used to work with him at this shop I was telling you about. And he's like, I said, nothing, man. I'm just chilling. He's like, all right, well, I got you a job. You start tomorrow. And I said, where at? And he told me, dude, badass body shop, right? I started working there, and and it's on, like, some high-end cars, mm-hmm. right? And mind you, I'm, I'm a full-blown junkie, mm-hmm. right? And I don't know how, Brian, but I managed to work at this job, like, four years. And everybody knew I was tore up, tore up, mm-hmm. all right? But I was the hardest worker there. Uh, like they had a bunch of certified guys who all quit. And when you work for this one particular manufacturer, you have to have, like this was a manufacturer specified shop. I'm not going to say the brand. Mm-hmm. But in order for, for that manufacturer to certify this body shop, you need to have at least two certified master technicians who are also certified in that brand. And they didn't have, they only had one. And this guy was all fucked up out of his mind. Mm -hmm. So for some reason, they started sending me because I could pass all the tests. And next thing you know, I'm full-blown addiction, but I'm going to ICAR, and ICAR Platinum, ASC, and all those. And then they sent me to the particular brand up in Atlanta, Georgia for training. And I rocked out at this job for forever before I got clean. And this was at the end of my road. And I mean, like, I was starting out, I was making like 60, 70 grand, all right, and when I got into it after I got certified. So I'm taking home like a thousand, eleven hundred bucks a week and I ain't got nothing. You know, I'm riding the bus. I can't afford a thousand dollars to get my license back. So you're telling me it takes me all I need is a thousand dollars, one week salary, right? To get a driver's license. And I can't do that for four years. You know, that's how stuck I was. I was stuck and I'm living in a house in you're from Florida, in the middle of Florida summer. I'm living in a house with no electric, no running water. I'm showering in a pool. You know, I'm charging my phone. In Florida with no electric? No electric, dude. I got clean in September. So I bared out the whole Hmm. summer, June, July, August, in a house with no power. Oh, I'd lose it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was fucked up, man. Mm -hmm. It was fucked up. Like, once in a while, I'd be able to finagle my mom, like, on a Friday when I was feeling good. Mom, let me come over, take a shower, or mm-hmm. sit in the AC, get high in peace, you know. But after a while, she was like, no, nah, man, you got to go. 
So I'm working, I'm living, no power, no electric, no running water. And like, so mind you, I get paid a thousand bucks Friday, direct deposit. Usually 90% of that check is gone by the time I leave work Friday. Mm -hmm. You know, Saturday, I have no money. Sunday or Sunday, I'm completely broke. And like, I used to have a neighbor that would lend me money. I used to have this one that would lend me money because I would always pay everyone back because, you know, need to borrow money. And everybody just started saying no. You know, I lost my hustle. You know, I, I had nothing left to pawn. All my tools that I would buy for my trade, they ended up in a pawn shop. You know, I'm buying more tools with the same tools. And, you know, I got the revolving circle going on with the pawn shop. Oh, let's get this one out. Let's pay an extension on this. Oh, we lose that. It's okay. You know, that whole that whole mm -hmm. sham. I kind of just got tired, man. Like, I was really fucking tired. I had no power. So on the weekends, I would have to wash my clothes. And I didn't have enough money to go to, like, a regular laundromat that was, like, a, you know, $4 to wash, $4 to dry. So I went to my grandmother's condo. It was, like, 50 cents to wash, 50 cents to dry. Mm -hmm. But I had no money to get home. So I'm hanging out with my grandmother. And, and my mom knew. She, she heard that I was over there. And she's like, motherfucker, you got to go. And so my uncle came. And he came and picked me up. He's like, I'm taking your sorry ass home. And... On the way home, you know, this is on a Sunday. I have no money left. I have like one and a half cigarettes left, 305, menthol 100s. I have no money, no cigarettes, probably haven't eaten in a good solid day. You know, right now I'm probably 200 pounds. When I got clean, I was 108, you know, so. 108? 108, 108 pounds. I'll show you the picture on my phone. I mm -hmm. look like my buddy jokes. He's like, for 13 cents a day, you can feed this Floridian. <laughs> and that's what. That's what I looked like, you know, and I thought I looked good. I was like, man, I got a six pack. And my homeboys at work were like, Dave, what the fuck is wrong with you? So my uncle's giving me a ride home from my grandmother's. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what lie can I tell this man that he'll give me some money? You know, like just $30 so I could get well, maybe a pack of cigarettes or something. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what I told him. I need money for work or a money order or cell phone bill. I don't know what I told him. But it was a good lie. I made it up good. And he looked at me and he kind of just shook his head. And I should have asked him for more money because he had like a couple grand in his pocket. Mm -hmm. But whatever. He pulled out like 40, 50 bucks and he handed it to me and he goes, David, we both know what you're going to do with this money. Like, and I don't give a fuck. He goes, because it might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. But eventually you're going to keep doing what you're doing and you're going to die. And he goes, but guess what? I really don't care about that either. I was like, damn, well, what do you care about, man? He's like, eventually you're going to die, and I'm going to have to pay to put your sorry ass in the ground just like I paid for your father's funeral. And that's kind of what stung. You know, that that was like the thing that made me recount. Because, Brian, at this point I was tired. You know, I tried to stop. I tried the sub-maintenance for years. Mm -hmm. I tried tapering down. I tried weaning off. I tried substituting. You know, I tried just smoking weed. I tried drinking. I tried everything always led back to the pills and like, every, you know, just living in complete dereliction, mm -hmm. you know, and I was okay with it. You know, there wasn't like a white light that went off that said, man, Dave, uh, maybe, maybe there's a different way. Like, cause mind you, I, I was going to 12 step meetings from the time I was 16, mm -hmm. you know, and, but I never thought it could work for me. I saw it. I didn't even believe the people in meetings were actually clean, you know, uh, because I was always high in meetings. And I don't know, like from, from 16 to 28, I probably went to 
three, four hundred meetings in that in that twelve years. Wow. And every one of them I was high in. Or maybe one I went to, I was dope sick in. But like every 12-step meeting I went to, I was high. Right? So I didn't think it could work for me. I but I knew I was tired. You know, I was just tired. I saw people like having a debit card, going out to eat dinner. Like I remember I'd see people, I'd walk past a restaurant to go meet my dope man. I'd be like, man. What would it be like to have 40 bucks to go eat at Olive Garden? Mm -hmm. You know, and like all that shit would seem foreign to me. I knew I wanted something like that. You know, some kind of normalcy, a car that I didn't sell or crash. You know, I was just tired, man. And and when my uncle said that to me in that car, it kind of got me thinking like, damn, I'm 28. I don't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. You know, I don't have a car. I don't have a girlfriend. I have a, I have a job. I'm a bum with a good ass fucking job. Mm -hmm. That's all I got. You know, but the job, I'm busting my ass off, making another man rich, and I'm paying the dope man's car note. You know, like I'm making my boss rich and making Pookie rich. Mm -hmm. And I'm broke as fuck. It sucked, man. And I remember when I when I was sitting down in that truck, I thought to myself, all right, you, you have nothing. You have no goals or aspirations. You used to have dreams. You used to want a family, a business. You used to want to be a cop. You you know, professional baseball player, all these things. And like addiction robbed me of all that. Addiction robbed had me living in a house with no utilities. Mm -hmm. And 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 a big kicker for me was what he said about my father. And I thought to myself, I said, Man, I'm 28 and we're having this conversation. My dad died at the age of 33, right? So am I gonna end up just like him? You know, do I only have another five years left to live? You know, because at this time when I started thinking about this, my dad died from, from AIDS, from shooting needles. My aunt overdosed and died from pain pills. And my grandfather died from cirrhosis of the liver. You know, since then, my mother's passed from chronic alcoholism. I thought to myself, I said, damn, man, there's got to be a way out of this shit. But I didn't know. And so I kind of manned up. Because previously, Brian, like, yeah, I knew I had a problem, but I would go to detox because of my family. I would go to treatment because of my family. I would go to appease the courts. I would go, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And for the first time in my life, I, I went into my job and I sat down with my, my old boss and his name was Maurice. And I said, look, Maurice, I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but I have a drug problem. And he knew. Everybody fucking knew. Yeah. I said, look, man, I've been at your company for almost like four and a half, five years. I don't remember. Uh, I don't really take vacations and I need to take a week vacation because I need to go to detox. He said, are you sure, man? Like, if you have a drug problem, why don't you just stop? And I remember telling him, like, dude, it ain't that easy, dude. I, I can't. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm the type of addict, me. Some people I know, uh, they can shoot dope for a year and then take two subs and then go to 12-step meetings and kick on the couch and be good. You know, or, or 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 get clean in meetings, or just on the in their mom's house. I can't. I have to go to a facility to get stopped, whether it's in jail or whether it's bark detox. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I sat down with my boss. I'm like, yo, I need a week vacation. He's like, all right, and he gave me the vacation contingent on like the vacation would start when the place called me because they had no beds, and they said we'll call you the night before, and you have to be here the next day. So they called me Thursday night. I called my boss. I said, hey, man, the vacation starts tomorrow. He said, all right, cool. I went to Bark for the third time. I knew that something was different this time because, like, every time that I had to go to Bark before 
or any facility. I always had to get one more. I always had to, you know, go meet the dope man first. Mm-hmm. I always had to wait in the parking lot for the dope man to pull up, and then I could go to treatment. And uh, this time, the direct deposit just cleared. It was Friday, and it was a real humbling experience for me, man. That same uncle came and picked me up, and I went to Walmart and bought uh, socks and underwear because I didn't have any clean socks or underwear because I had no fucking power. Was, he didn't know I was living like that, but it was real embarrassing. I went to detox, and, and that's kind of where my journey began. I was in detox, and I kind of prayed. I did pray. They let me in, and the first thing I did, I went to my bed. I put the uniform on, and I prayed. And I didn't really have the greatest relationship with God. It was always, always like, oh, God, please uh, let the drugs be real or um, let them come back with my money. I don't know them that well. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, God, the cops are behind me. Don't let them pull me over. Oh, they're pulling me over. Please don't let them find out I have a suspended license. Please don't let them take me to jail. Like, that's the kind of God I had a relationship with. I prayed. I said, look, man, God, I don't even know if you're real, but I kind of need some help. You know, and I've been running the show, making a mess out of my life for the past 28 years. Right. And every time I go to some kind of rehab or some kind of facility, I leave and I do some dumb shit and, and I never stay clean. So I said, look, man, if you could just help me stay clean in this facility today and not leave, and remove this obsession to get high constantly, you know, I greatly appreciate it. And I said, if you do that for me, I'll thank you, and we'll do the same thing again tomorrow. You know, and me and him have been doing that same thing now for, like, close to five and a half years. And I was in detox, and, and yeah. yeah, so H&I came in. You know, for those people who don't know, it's members of a 12-step program who kind of come into, like, hospitals or jails or treatment centers where the people inside can't get to outside 12-step meetings and they come in and they kind of, you know, speak about what it was like for them. Like, so, and I've had a lot of experiences with H&I because I've seen them before and, you know, constantly in all these facilities I've been in, they've come. Mm -hmm. So I kind of looked forward to it. But these two guys came in and I couldn't relate with them at all. You know, they were totally different than me. They didn't look like me. They didn't sound like me. They didn't talk like me. They were both gay. You know, I didn't believe that. They're actually good friends of mine today. But I didn't believe that they were clean. I didn't believe that they were best friends. I didn't believe that they traveled. And they were just in the Philippines and Thailand and skiing in Colorado. I didn't believe any of that shit. Mm -hmm. But the one guy had, they both had car keys, which was surprising. And they were well-dressed. The, the one guy had a cell phone with, uh, on the back, it had a credit card holder in it. And he had two credit cards and a driver's license. And I was like, okay, the bank card, American Express, that's cool. But I was fixated on the driver's license. I was like, man, I've been working at a job, making like 60 grand, 70 grand a year for four years. And I can't afford $1,000 to get my license back. I said, maybe this man is really doing something with his life. Mm-hmm. And I said, maybe, just maybe, if I get clean, I could get a license too. The way I already set it up was before I went into two detox, my uncle had a friend who I was talking to, and he ran a halfway house. And I was never in halfway before. I didn't do any of that. I had no experience. But the way this guy set it up for me, his name was Glenn. He set it up for me like, Dave, you're on the waiting list. Before I even went into detox, I, I was smoking blues talking to this guy. you know. And uh, he's like, look, when you get out, you have a bed. 
So, you know, I got out of detox and I went straight to this halfway house and uh, I stopped at Walmart and, and I got some like food or whatever. And uh, I moved in. I moved into this halfway. It was a real humbling experience. But like I, I did everything that people told me to do because my track record, Brian, is like I go to a facility. I go to jail. I go to a year-long faith-based program. I go to detox. Whatever it is, don't matter how long I'm there, the day I get out, I'm using, mm-hmm. right? And I knew that I was tired of it. I didn't want to do that anymore. So, like, when people started telling me what to do, you know, I, I like, my uncle told me I was going into this halfway house. Fuck it, I did it. I remember when I got out, my uncle was like, give me your credit card or your debit card. I'm going to be in charge of your finances. You know, I'm going to pay your And that was the best thing he could have done for me, you know, because me, anytime I had money, I was spending it, you know, and he, he gave me a little allowance every day. I remember I still had a paycheck in the bank when I got out of detox. So I went and I bought a new phone and I took my old phone and I broke it and I got a new number. Mm-hmm. And that was a good thing for me because like everybody that would call me, it was drug related. Just people I used with, people I, I stole shit with, people I would come up with another master plan with. You know, I had not one decent person. Am I... I had two, my neighbor and this kid, Junior, who's like a childhood best friend. But other than that, all my friends were shit, mm-hmm. you know, or drug dealers. Those are the only people that called me, drug dealers, because they knew I, I would spend money with them. I got that new number, and then I, I did the orient. I went back to the halfway. I had orientation with them. They were like, all right, you got to go to 90 12-step meetings in 90 days. You got to get a sponsor. You got to work steps. And I'm, I'm like, fuck, you know, but... I knew I was a little grateful for this place because it had AC, mm-hmm. had a clean bed, it had running water, it had lights. So I'm like, all right, it can't be that bad. I got settled and I, I, I said, all right, I got to go to a meeting. And I went to a meeting. I, I actually had the choice of going to this one fellowship that I'm really not too fond of, you know, and it was right down the street. Really couldn't identify with them. And I could have walked there in like two minutes. The other place, the other 12-step program that I kind of could have rocked with, the nearest meeting was like, in a car, six minutes, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm footing it. I'm on the bus. It, it, I had to k- take two buses to get there. And it took me like an hour and a half, two hours to get there. But I pulled up and, you know, I went to the meeting. I said, hey, I'm Dave. You know, uh, I just got out of detox. I don't want to die. I need some help. I remember the meeting was kind of cool. And, and about 15 minutes into it, I heard the back door creak open. And I looked back. And it's my first ever drug dealer that walked in the meeting. And I'm like, his name's Walt. And I'm like, nah, that can't be this dude, man. Like, the Walter I knew was fat. He had a big afro. He he always had, like, black eyes because he was always getting in fights and shit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nah, this can't be the same guy. Like, this guy, he had a gold chain on. He He was built. He lost a lot of weight. Like, he looked real clean and healthy. I said, this can't be the same guy. And sure enough, man... It was. And uh, we started talking after the meeting. And and I thought, like, I was like, oh, man, maybe he's just getting clean, too. Maybe we could turn our lives around together. And I started talking to him. And he told me, he's like, yeah, man, I'm coming up on eight years clean. And I couldn't fathom that. I couldn't because, like, in my neighborhood where I came from, no one was, no one got clean. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we died. We went to jail. We disappeared. We moved to another state. We're still using. Like, no one I knew got clean. Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, I've been clean for eight years. 
And that kind of resonated with me. He told me, he texted me after he left, we exchanged numbers. And he's like, look, man, if you want to have the willingness to sponsor you. And looking back at it, I thought it was a sick joke because I was like, why is this guy offering to sponsor me? You know, I used to buy drugs from him. This is going to be a shit show. This is, I had a sponsor once before when I was using, and this guy had like two years clean, and that was a shit. It was just a debacle. Mm -hmm. So I said, why, why is this guy sponsoring me? I used to buy drugs from him. This is a horrible idea, you know, but having a relationship with this guy for some years now, I learned that I was on his amends list, his ninth step list, because, and all the people he sold drugs to, because he kind of treated us like shit, you know, and he saw me. And his amends to me were, were, he didn't say, I'm sorry. He didn't, you know, he didn't try and say, I'm, you know, all those things I put you through, let's make it better. Let me be a better person. Mm -hmm. He said, Hey man, I want to sponsor you. And that was his amends process to me. So that was pretty fucking cool. You know, and he offered to sponsor me. Yeah. That's not like he was clean a year. Like this guy has been clean eight years. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's a totally different person. Right. So it's totally different than when someone gets their drug dealer to sponsor them and they have, like, <laughs> nine months clean. You know? Right, right. Yeah. And, but, dude, so it was a horrible fucking— uh, So check this out. He said, I asked him to sponsor me the next day, and he called me. Or I texted him. He, he goes—he gave me an assignment. He goes, do you have any uh, information pamphlets? I said, yeah, this is what I have. And he goes, all right, I want you to do this one. And he gave me a, an assignment to do. I had to write one page front and back on three things. And then he's like, have it ready by 6 o'clock tonight. I'm going to come pick you up from my home group. Mm -hmm. Right? And already I'm skeptical because I, I, okay, so far I've achieved it. I've been at a facility and I got one real day clean. Like I've been clean 24 hours in the free fucking world. Mm -hmm. But I'm terrified. And this guy's coming to pick me up. Like all these old feelings are coming up. I'm like, man, this ain't going to be good. You know, I already have this mentality going into it, right? And he's like, I'm running a little bit late. I had to come pick up. I Typical had to drug dealer. I had to pick up some people, right? And he's like, but I'm coming. I said, all right, cool. So I wait outside for him. He's like, yeah, man, I'm right here. He pulls in. And as he pulls in, there's two other people in the car with him, right? And he pulls in, and I walk up to the passenger side of the car. And this kid opens the passenger door, and he just leans out of the car, and he starts throwing up, just puking everywhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, man, he's dope sick. And I'm like, this is not going to fucking end well, right? That's like, mm -hmm. you know, and I get in the car. We start driving. And there's this big muscle-bound dude in the back. And he doesn't look sick. He looks kind of healthy. And, <laughs> and he looks at me, and he had a country accent. He goes, you used to do drugs with this guy? I said, for years. For years, I bought drugs from him. He goes, I can't imagine that. He's my sponsor. I've been clean 18 months. And I said, What? Like, and right then it kind of shifted for mm -hmm. me, like, maybe this ain't the same fucking dude, mm -hmm. you know? And um, that man's Jeremy, he's, you know, we give medallions to each other every year. Like, we're really tight today. He brought me to his home group. They kind of rigged. They they have this thing called the secretary's report at all these meetings where, like, these people talk about announcements and, you know, whatever, and they ask if new people are there. And anyways, my sponsor was the secretary, and they rigged it. To where um, he said, hey, man, look, just stand over there in this bush, like by the bush. And when I look at you, I'm about to give away a free book, a free 12-step book. When when I look at you, you're going to just jump up and get the book. And I got the book. And, and through that process, like, I started, you know, reading it. And, and you know, I, I, I got a home group. 
I got a sponsor. Uh, I already had the sponsor. I started making meetings. I started calling people, even though it was uncomfortable. And I started working the 12 steps, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, that was, my experience with the 12 steps was, um, uh, I didn't believe in them at all. Because, so when I was court ordered to, to the 12 step fellowship before, when I was 16, I got a sponsor and I was high. I'm smoking weed before every meeting. And we actually had like a sponsee family. And I formally worked two steps with these people, high as a kite, mm -hmm. right? And I saw no evidence of it working in my life. So of course it didn't work. But I was grateful that the halfway that I was living at, they were like, you have to work steps. You have to have a sponsor or else you can't live here. You know, so I started, you know, doing the work and I worked the first step and like, Saw no results, went over with him, and it was a lot of questions and kind of asked the same way, just different ways. And the same thing, I, I went, did the second step. I read it for seven days. Then I answered all the questions. Then I went over with my sponsor. Same process with the third step. And nothing really ever happened, mm -hmm. you know, and, and not seeing any results. But they told me, if you want to stay clean, you're going to keep working steps. So I remember I worked steps, kept working them. And I'm going over the third step with my sponsor. And we went over it. And he goes, all right, Dave, so now you're on your fourth step. Do you know what happens to people that don't work a fourth step? I said, no, man, I don't have a clue. And he goes, well, generally, people who don't work a fourth step tend to use. He goes, do you want to get high? I said, not really, man. And he goes, well, then just write this shit down, you know, because you've already done it. And so he made me write, like, a list of... Um, the things I was ashamed of, the things I felt guilty about, the people I hurt, the people who hurt me, uh, the deep, dark secrets I was taking to the grave. Also, he made me like write a list of assets or good qualities, good things I've done. Mm -hmm. You know, and I wrote out this list, uh, all these lists, and I answered all these questions in, in the book. And uh, I went over it with him in the fifth step. And I found out a lot about myself, like about the abandonment issues I had from my dad dying and, and all that shit I went through as a kid and like the self-centered fear and this and that. And I remember um, we're going on and on, but like a, a real clutch part of working that fifth step was that my sponsor pointed out to me that I had a resentment against my mother because my mom, she was verbally and physically abusive growing up, you know, and she beat the shit out of me. And then once I kind of got older, she just started, you know, with the socially retarded shit and, you know, and once I hit a certain age, me and my mom started using together. You know, we would get drunk together. We would smoke weed together. This was back in the pill mill epidemic. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom had a, a fucked up back and she would go to the doctor and I would pay for her script and I would get her. And, and she didn't want them. She hated, she hated oxys. She mm -hmm. hated oxys. And she, like her deal was, you got to give me one out of the bottle. Like fucking sent my mom to doctors. Like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. And so, like, there was a lot of damage done, but we, we loved each other, you know? Like, we were, when we were both fucked up, we were like mom and, and son of the year, you know? But, you know, when she was drunk and I didn't have drugs or she didn't drink and I was messed up, we argued like cats and dogs, man. And it was just typical using family, mm -hmm. you know? That's all I knew. My attitude when I got clean was like, mom, I really can't talk to you or associate with you because you're still getting drunk you're still getting fucked up and it's not really healthy for me you know and my sponsor kind of cut me down and he's like so you mean to tell me you haven't been talking to your mom this whole time 
And I said, no, like I talk to her, like I say hi and bye. Mm-hmm. And I go over there when I need cigarettes or something. And he's like, well, what the fuck is wrong with you? I said, what do you mean? He goes, look, man, your mom was a single mother who did the best she could with what she had and how she knew to raise you. You know, she was always bonding you out of jail, uh, bringing you cigarettes when you were in treatment. She she let you crash one of her cars. She didn't press charges on you. She let you pawn some of her jewelry. She didn't press charges on you. You stole money from her bank account. She didn't, you know, press charges on you. Mm-hmm. Like, she was the only one to show up for you, and she was, like, the, the most valuable person in your life. And you can't you can't just shut her out like that. He's like, you need to learn how to man up and, and be a son to your mother. You know, and, and he gave me, like, little assignments. Uh, not, like, little assignments. He was just, like, show up. And my mom would always call me on some, like, helpful shit. Like, I, I was a hand, I'm a handyman. Like, I'm good with my hands. She would call me, you know fix shit around my grandmother's house, fix shit around her house. She had a problem with a car, I would fix it, you know, and little by little, you know, I would run to like Walmart. I wouldn't recommend this to nobody, <laughs> but I was like, you know, I had six, four or five months clean and I'm in Walmart. Like before I go and see my grand, my mom, I'm going to buy like a bottle of wine, her favorite wine and give it to her. I don't recommend nobody to do that shit, <laughs> but you know, kind of like mended the fence a little bit, you know? And I uh, made her happy to see me, you know, bring her a bottle of wine and some cigarettes. She could. And I remember I'm showing up. And uh, one day, out of the blue, man, this is kind of like where I started believing in God heavy. Because, like, I was just praying because it was suggested. And I saw that, I, I, like, I saw what was happening in detox. Like, I didn't want to use the obsession to get high. It was kind of lifted. And... I, so I started believing that maybe there's a God, but like this really solidified it for me. I remember one day out of the blue, my sponsor calls me and he asked me, he's like, do you want to stay clean? And I said, yeah. And he goes, all right, well, I need you to do something for me. And I said, all right, what do you need me to do? And uh, I was hesitant, man, because he asked me that like a couple times before. <laughs> one time he was moving, he made me move his whole house. I was That's like, funny. yeah, the first time, uh, uh, hey, you want to stay clean? He he showed up, and his girl, his fiance, picked me up. I had to pack up their whole house, move it to another house, you know. Then they stuck me in this back room because he brought all this furniture. I had to assemble all this furniture. I'm stuck there for like ten hours. They fed me, but like I was kidnapped. Mm-hmm. My first experience with, do you want to stay clean? You know, and this happened again with my grand sponsor. He made me build a Barbie dream house. You know, all kinds of crazy shit. And I'm like, fuck it, yeah, man, I want to stay clean. He's like, all right, well, check me out. He said, I need you to call your mom every day for the next seven days. And mind you, I still wasn't really talking to my mom. You know, like I was talking to her, but not friendly. Like every day, hey, best friend, what's going on? I love you. Mm -hmm. You know, we would talk every couple days. He's like, I need you to call her every day for the next seven days. And I said, for what, man? He goes, you're just going to call her and tell her you love her. And I said, well, what if I don't want to do that? He goes, then you can find a new sponsor. Click, boom, hungs up the phone. And so, like, the first day I called my mom, it was awkward as shit. Hey, mom, I love you. Bye. Second day, same thing. Hey, mom, I love you. Bye. And then uh, the third day, I called her, and she kind of got a little freaked out. She was like, Dave, what the fuck is wrong? Like, why are you calling me three days in a row? Are you high right now? Are you going to jail? Are you in the hospital? Are you in some sort of danger? And I said, no, like, no, I'm not. And she goes, well, why are you calling me? I said, I'm just calling you to tell you I love you. And she kind of broke right there. She started like sobbing. 
And she was like, I can't tell you the last time you called me three days in a row and didn't ask me for anything. Mm -hmm. You know, you haven't asked me for nothing. And she goes, whatever you're doing, it feels like I'm starting to get my son back. And it got real sentimental and I didn't know how to deal with what I was feeling. So I was like, all right, cool, bye. And I started like crying after I got off the phone with her. And the next day she called me and she called me every day for like the next month. And I called my sponsor. I'm like, dude, I didn't complete the assignment. You know, I called her for three days, but she won't stop calling me. Like, what happens when when I, I call her seven days in a row? Like, will I complete the assignment? Will she stop calling? What's going on here? And he goes, no, dumbass. Like, the assignment did what it was supposed to do. Write it out. Looking back at it, man, that was, that was all God. Because he gave me that assignment out of the blue, like the end of February of 2017. And April 4th, 2017, my mom died from a brain aneurysm from drinking. Wow. Had I not gotten a 12-step program, gotten a sponsor, worked the steps, even though I saw no evidence of this shit working in my life, right? None. And, and, and for some reason, I worked these steps with this man, and he gets a wild hair up his ass one day just to call me out of the blue and tell me to call my mother, right? And had I not done any of that, it was her time. She would have died regardless, and I probably still would have had a chip on her shoulder, uh, chip on my shoulder, you know, and I wouldn't have been talking to her and I probably would have felt like a scumbag, you know, and it was crazy because it talks about like reservations and like, or like, what things do you think would happen in your life that would fuck you up so bad mm -hmm. that you would go back to get getting high? And that was one of them. You know, my mother dying, my grandmother dying, and I had a, but a few other ones, death of a child. You know, I thought they were valid excuses and she died. And that was like my number one reservation. Like, man, if, if my mother dies, I'm going out with a bang. I didn't even want to get high in that situation. Like, I remember uh, I showed up to the, the apartment. My boss, I wasn't driving at this time. I had six months clean. My boss drove me from work over to where my mother was at. She died in my grandmother's house and because uh, she was overseeing her. And he dropped me off at this condo. The cops were there. I couldn't get in because they were having an investigation. Mm -hmm. My uncle's outside. I'm fucked up outside. My uncle's like, man, we got to. And I remember I called this lady in the program and I, and I ugly cried with her and she prayed with me. And I remember after we got off the phone, I went back. Cops ain't let me in. Uncle's all frantic. And my uncle was like, man, we got to plan a funeral. We have to go to the funeral home. We have to do this. We have to do that. We got to get death certificates. Like, he's like, we got to go do all this. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, man, like, it was the first time in my life I actually showed up for my family. You know, I said, look, I'm here to rock with you till the wheels fall off. Can you just please drop me off at a meeting at 12 o'clock? Because I, I, I need to go to a meeting. You know, and I went to a meeting. And for the first time, I kind of shared, like, not surface level shit, like some real shit, like, you know, I'm David, I'm an addict, and uh, my mom just died, and I don't want to get high. You know, I need some help. And, you know, the program kind of carried me through it, man. Like, you know, people would pick me up and take me to a meeting or call me constantly. And from the meeting, they would take me to my uncle's or take me back to my halfway. And, and like, they just surrounded me with love for a couple days, and I got through it, mm -hmm. you know. And that's been my experience. Like, you know, they just come together. for It's, it's like the SWAT team. You know, in a 12-step program, like, you go through some shit, they jump out, they all fucking show up till you get through it, and poof, they're gone. Mm -hmm. You know, that was my experience. And um, I remember my life kind of changed 
when I went to uh, the funeral home that day, when I went to see her body a couple days after she passed, I remember at that point, like, I walked in that room and there's my mother, you know, and, and no matter how much I cried or begged or, or, or prayed to God or whatever, it wasn't going to change the situation, you know, and it wasn't going to like, it wasn't going to bring her back. It wasn't going to wake her up. So I, I was either like, am I going to go get high or am I going to deal with this shit? You know, and, and I sat in that, in that room in the funeral home. I, I made a deal with my mom and God that like just for today, for the rest of my life, I'm not getting high no matter what. You know, and so far for almost 2,000 days, I've been keeping that promise. It's awesome. You know, so I, I got through that and, and I've been through, uh, I've been through a lot, man, in, in recovery. I don't know, like a lot of grief and loss. Mm -hmm. um, my mother's died. My grandmother's died. I got a real small family. It's just me and my uncle left. I was dating a girl and, and she ended up leaving me. She was pregnant. She had an abortion, like, because she was using. It was a shit show. I've learned that in recovery, there's highs, there's lows, there's, you know, the middle ground. And a lot of the time, like, even though I've had a lot of lows, man, I've had a lot of freaking highs, a lot of highs. And um, I don't know, I've just, I, I feel like I've been a, built a better person through this process. You know, and I feel like also one of my main things in recovery is like as an amends to my mother is to like try and help people with their moms. You know, I'll go to a meeting and, and I'll hear somebody share, I fucking hate my mom, I can't stand her. Uh, mm -hmm. And like, I make it a point to go talk to that person. And I've had a few experiences actually. Like I remember one time I was in a meeting and this girl shared about her mom was diagnosed with cancer. This was what, like when I had a year clean. I don't remember too well. She shared something like that. Like her mom's sick, but she she hates her. Mm -hmm. And uh, she doesn't know how to feel about it. And someone I, I wouldn't normally talk to. And I said, man, I got to go talk to this girl. And I went up to her. And I told her the same thing my sponsor told me. I said, hey, man, you should call your mom and tell her you love her. You know. And she looked at me like, who the fuck are you? Mm -hmm. You know, she gave me all this attitude and I said, all right, I'm gone. You know, and I left. And I remember um, a few months later, I checked my phone and she was in my DMs on Facebook Messenger. And she goes, hey, man, I just want to let you know that what you said to me changed me. And I said, how so? She goes, my mom died two days ago wow. from cancer. And because of what you said, I was able to show up. And for the last two weeks of her life, I was able to be there with her while she passed. And I held her hand while she died. And like she said that. And like I've had a couple experiences like that, Brian, like crazy shit like that. Like it's like a high, mm -hmm. like a spiritual high. I don't know if he, I don't know how to put it into words. I'm not good with words like that. But I've had a, a few of those like crazy experiences that you can't put a price on, you know. And so I feel like because I was kind of a shitty son to my mother all those years. And, and since she got to see me clean, like even in her death, like I kind of get to honor her by like, you know, of being course, the guy, yeah. being the guy that helps out people with their moms. Cause mom is something cool that, that you don't, people take their mothers for people in general, take their family for granted. You know, people take their, their family for granted. You know, people call me, Oh, I fucking hate my dad. I hate this. I hate that. I said, bro, at least you got your parents. You know, like, by the time I was 28, I had none. You yeah, know? my sponsor was super strict, bro. I remember, like, like my sponsor was so big on family. And I remember when I would call him and say, like, my dad this or whatever, 
he would really be like, bro, that is your dad. You like, you show that man respect. You say, I love you when you hang up the phone. And uh, he taught me how to say, I love you when I hang up the phone. Cause I remember he used to tell me, he's like, you need to say, I love you every time you hang up the phone. Cause you got to make up for all the years you didn't. Mm. And um, thank God he did, you know, because like, I didn't know how else to like start the relationship or whatever. And a, a lot of times it's just about your side of the street. Right. You know what I mean? Your right. side of the street. And, and uh, dude, your parents are your parents. You know, you can't really change them. And sometimes it's like an unhealthy dynamic, but you can have healthy boundaries to still have some type of healthy relationship, even though they're sick, even though they might lash out at you in a certain way. Right. There's a way to be where it doesn't, you're not so reactive. Right. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, that, that you said you call and love your parents. Cause I remember you talking before and, and you said that that wasn't something that you did a lot, Mm-mm. you know, and it wasn't really something I did either, you know? So I, I feel like that's kind of like, just like you said, cleaning on my side of the street. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, there are family and, and same thing with my uncle, like this, is the uncle that said he hated me, that wanted nothing to do mm-hmm. with me. He's kind of like my best friend today, you know? And, I better be his best friend because I'm I'm really all he's got, mm-hmm. you know, and he's all I got. The best thing I can do with this man, like, I remember after I got out of halfway, before I got my house, I stayed with him for like a year and a half. And and that was the best thing for our relationship. Like, we hung out, we 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 laughed, you know, we watched TV, we, you know, we just told jokes. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't fucking stand each other, man, you know? And, like, the best thing I ever did for that man— was get him a a twenty dollar a month subscription to Netflix. Mm-hmm. Oh, he loves it. That's he cool. loves it. You know, and and like buy him shit on Amazon or whatever. But a family is kind of important, you know, to me. It's kind of like in retrospect, like he, I don't know how to put it into words, man. Like I, it, it's just been a crazy fucking ride, this recovery process. Mm-hmm. You know, I could talk for another hour about like the experience that I had with my grandmother and like all that shit. But here's a kid who his whole family died from addiction, you know, and and before getting clean, I was never out of the state of Florida. I was never out of Broward County. Mm -hmm. I built a life for myself, you know. I I own a home, and all the bills are paid on it. You know, I have power. I have electric. You know, I pay the taxes. You know, everything's paid. I'm a good employee at my job. I'm trying to do some other things right now. I'm in school for, like, real Mm -hmm. estate and, you know, trying to do that on the side. And it's just a complete 180 from where my life was because all my life revolved around was pills, pills and Coke and Xanax. And that's a pill too, (laughs) but weed, you know, just using drugs, man. And like to see where my life changed and and how much it changed in five years and some change. It's, it's pretty cool. It's really fucking cool, actually. Thank you. Well, Hey, I appreciate you coming on the show. I love you very much. You know, it's really cool to see, like, your whole life change because, like, I've known you for, like, all these years, you know? So it's, like, when I see you and, like, how much you've put into the program and, like, all that you do, like, you know, it definitely makes me want to keep doing the stuff that I do. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 888-699-9395 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. 
you can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.